Good evening. Me, let me pray just one more time for us. I don't do that because there's something wrong with John's prayer, by the way. I don't want you to think that. I just like to pray here. Father, I praise you for this time you've given to us tonight. Father, I pray that we would redeem this time by listening to your word. Father, if you will please be with me to help me preach it. Father, help me be clear. Help me be correct. Watch over every facet of this in my preaching, Lord, and I ask that you would watch over everyone who listens and enable everyone to hear. Father, please tonight open our ears. Let us hear the text by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Ken and Sue, you got married on Christmas. Is that right? I couldn't do that because I think people would use it as an excuse to not buy me gifts. <laughs> it's the first thing I thought when I heard I thought, man, how are you going to get gifts? Everybody's going to... That's it's very important to me. But, what? Ken, I'm younger than you, and I know don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> well, we're in the 28th chapter of Job tonight. We'll get there in just a few moments. I, I wanted to let you know, um, Job 28 is a. We have a little bit of a break here after tonight, so. Um, Next week on Sunday night, Sunday night, we won't be having evening service because we're having service uh, there on the 24th on Christmas Eve. And then the 30th, I'll be, I think I'm going to take a few days there off after Christmas. And so I won't be here in the evening, uh, which I, I don't think we're having service that night. But uh, Dave Hoskins will be preaching for me in the morning. I'm very thankful for that, Dave. Thank you. But uh, we'll be back in Job on January the 6th, and we won't have much longer to go once we get through chapter 28 tonight, then um, on the 6th, God willing, we'll, I think we look at Elihu, which we'll look at him all together, um, and then I think after that there'll be two more, maybe three more, so by the end of January, early February, my plan is to go next to Joshua, trying to hit uh, a book from each of the uh, uh, pieces of the Old Testament literature, but we'll, we'll see, but that's, I'm pretty sure that's where we're going. I'm rambling a little bit, but you have to remember here at the beginning. This morning, I unknowingly gave myself approximately 20 minutes of a sermon time credit that I can use at any time. So you never know when I'm going to, when uh, that's, amen. So you never know. <laughs> but l- l- let's, let's get down to business here. I, I, I don't know if you saw on Monday morning this past week, a horrific story came out of Youngstown, Ohio. Maybe you did see, but there there was a house that caught fire, and five children died. Nine, three, two, and then one-year-old twins. And the mother, the story is that the mother jumped out of a second-story window and survived, but was injured. She's still in critical condition, uh, along with at least another firefighter who was injured. And as that story broke on social media, there was a litany of people condemning the mom for jumping out of the window. So you had you have things like I'd never leave my babies behind. Uh, if I can't get the kids out, I'm dying with them. I could never do what this mom did, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because they were all there, right? They were all in the house that night. All these people who have never been in a fire, probably, have never felt the heat of flames about to melt their skin. I haven't. Have never been in the terror and panic of a fire. Have never begun to choke to death due to smoke, or been 
completely disoriented in the middle of the night or early morning. So, of course, what, what, what do they do? And, again, I don't know what the mom did. I don't know what led to her jumping out of the window. That's, again, that's, that's the point. But um, that's what we do in tragedy in particular or disaster. We jump on the self-righteous bandwagon of humanity saying what they would have done, what she should have done, et cetera, which, which helps us understand it's not fun to face about ourselves. But generally speaking, not only are we often cruel, we're often ignorant. Most, if not all, of those kinds of comments come from one thing. They come from the lack of wisdom, don't they? If we pull all the way back and look at that, that nobody knew what happened. And there was no time. The minute the story breaks, the first comments up are, how could she do that? How? And if we can place blame, if you're able to place blame, we liken it with knowledge. Like it, it makes us feel like we know something and so we're able to... Um, we feel wise, we feel informed, we, then we comment or we assess. And social media didn't create that. Social media gave a platform for all of that to come out, that that's how we are. We were saying those kinds of things to our TVs at one time, and nobody heard it. Now everybody hears it, unfortunately. Um, it, it doesn't matter how the mom is going to feel in the anguish of losing her children if she survives so horrifically when she goes back to social media and starts to read. Or maybe watch interviews of people who weren't there so that they can weigh in on it, which I don't know why we do that. She probably won't ever recover mentally unless there's a miracle, right? If the book of Job was about one thing, if, if you could narrow it down to one thing, it would be the search for wisdom. The, the search for wisdom. Uh, it's the theme we find specified now, finally. This is an interesting chapter, 28. Underneath all the arguing and aching and crying out, what's taking place at a foundational level here is human beings in the midst of life in this world trying to figure out how to make sense of the things that happen to them, which is another way of saying how to make sense of the world that we live in. And when they can't, when we can't do that, uh, it becomes an all-out quest to find wisdom, period, in the book of Job. That's, the, that's what they're actually asking. In Job, where is wisdom? How can you know things? What's the truth that unifies knowledge, right? What is the truth that unifies knowledge? I hope we can talk through that a little bit tonight. What it is that chapter 28 reveals about the plight we're actually in as human beings. And most of all, how God's provision of a Savior rescues us from that plight. So let's read this great text and pursue God from our brokenness tonight as we do. I'm, I'm I'm praying that we'll do that, that as, as we walk, we read through this text, we'll, we'll see it, right? He says, Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. I never thought I'd get to read this text in a in a coal mining area it's just that's 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 awesome they are forgotten by travelers they hang in the air far away from mankind they swing to and fro as for the earth out of it comes bread but underneath it is turned up as by fire its stones are the place of sapphires and it has dust of gold that path no bird of prey knows and the falcon's eye has not seen it the proud beasts have not trodden it the lion has not passed over it 
Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Now, it's, it's really hard to tell since we're separated by a week, at least if you consider all the different chapters between sermons. But chapter 28 is very different from what's before it and and different from what follows it but we've looked in 29 and following in the previous weeks but when you look at 28 if you can remember where we've been the tone is surprisingly calm the content is very worshipful it's even orthodox this chapter uses Adonai as a name for God we haven't seen that yet that's different from the rest of the text in the Hebrew we we have the phrase the fear of the Lord coming in here, which is a traditional phrase that signals a return, at least in the moment, to submission. There's all this doubting and and questions, and then there's this unquestioning submission here on Job's part. And I, I do think Job is speaking. There is actually some question about that, given the differences here, because it, it, it does seem a little bit strange for the tone to change so quickly, um, and then go right back to that kind of complaining heaviness in chapter 29. But for one thing, uh, one reason I think we, we, we can rest assured it's, it's Job speaking again is that that's not that strange, actually, uh, when you think about it. We know God has already called Job righteous. We know that Job fears the Lord. So it would make sense right in the midst of his pain if he also at times has these moments of clarity. I think that's how it is for all of us. That happens sometimes. You, you, you can go in and out. Sometimes uh, a, a, a lot of times in one day and then other times it'll be horrible for a while and then you'll have maybe a week or so of clarity, things like that. So that's not unheard of. If we look at this where it is in the text of, of the whole book of Job, the speeches of Job's friends are collapsing here. Job is contemplating his responses, I think, a little bit more carefully. I think in 28 you're seeing what's, you know, the the, the good side of Job. We talked last week about, you know, where it was that he struggled. I think this is like like the, the good Job, so to speak, although God calls him good coming out. I think, I mean, the clear thinking Job here is maybe the better way to say it. There are three discernible sections here that guide our reading of the text. And the first is verses 1 through 11. If you, you look at that, what, it, what is going on? Job describes the skill of humans 
in uncovering the treasures of the earth. Mining, really. Israel didn't do a lot of mining. Its natural resources were limited. In Egypt, however, there were there, there was extensive mining activity that actually began around 2000 B.C., which is an amazing thing to think about. Miners would sink vertical shafts into the earth until they intersected with veins of ore or precious stones. They had a variety of techniques they would use, including fire. They would redirect underground streams to expose the desired objects. Later in history, horizontal, horizontal shafts were drilled into the sides of mountains. Mining was very dangerous then. As far as I understand, it still is today. Gold and silver, all the precious stones and things that Job describes here, human beings have been taking them out of the earth through the mining process for a very long time. Now, what is being displayed here in verses 1 through 11? Human ingenuity, right? It's an amazing thing. In finding these metals and figuring out all these different ways to get to them, the thought that went into that, the, the, the technology that helps us today, that was invented by people. They, they thought through, we need to do this and we need to have this, and they figure out ways to get them. It displays effort and concentration and skill and patience, all these things. Right? We found these metals in some of the farthest, darkest places of the earth, or stones or whatever you are thinking of, and we extract them by digging deeply to get to them. And the point of this description of the processes here is that human beings are able to do some amazing things through their ability to figure out how the world works. We have done that. We've done that very well, many of us. And we can use that knowledge to our advantage, right? I mean, we, we have, if, if they're telling us the truth, we have rovers on Mars now. That's an amazing thing. A standard laptop computer used by students today has way more capacity than the computers that once guided the Apollo missions to the moon. They can just sit there on their desk. It's, it's amazing. We've figured out the ability to mine and go into space and split atoms. We will dig and dig and dig. There's fracking, all of these things. We will find what we want. We'll take it out of the earth. We'll find ways to use it and profit from it and heat ourselves, all these things. But the place of verses 1 through 11 here is not just to put a spotlight on what we can do and our willingness to dig and find things. Job's overall purpose here is to put a spotlight on how, in spite of all of that, we can't find wisdom. We can't do it. That's verses 12 to 19. The search for precious metals through the difficult mining process is a template for our search for wisdom. That's how Job uses it. The question in verse 12 sets up that parallel force between the sections when he says, but where shall wisdom be found? We've mined and dug for centuries upon centuries now, and we still can't find it. Verses 13 through 19 answer the question of verse 12 then with a resounding no. And there are two reasons for that. Two problems. The first problem is that wisdom is not a commodity that can be discovered by human beings using their natural abilities. That's the first reason we can't find it. Wisdom is not a commodity that can be discovered by human beings using their natural abilities. Wisdom is not found in the land of the living in verse 13. It isn't found in the deep blue sea in verse 14. Part of what humanity lost in the fall then. See, Job is going after the deepest essence of human life. Part of what we lost in the fall then, we're now finding, was the ability to find and discern wisdom itself. We're born with the perspective of foolishness, beloved. 
Our blindness is our default position. That's how we're born. We're not born an empty slate. We talked about this before. We are not born empty slates. We are born enemies of God. We are going to sin. We are blind. And according to the Bible, we are our default position is foolishness with an inability to find wisdom. Knowledge is another thing altogether. But wisdom, we can't find it. Job's point is not that we're stupid. That's not true. That's not what he's saying. That's part of the reason for the first 11 verses describing our ingenuity, right? Our effort, our abilities for things like mining. Because that makes the fact that we can't find wisdom in verse 12 all the more difficult for us to deal with. If we can find all these other things, if we have the ability to do all these other things, why can't we just find wisdom? Isn't it just another commodity? Another thing to be used or apprehended. The success we have in other things like mining makes this a conundrum for us that leaves us in foolishness, that keeps us there. The second problem or the second reason the answer to the question in verse 12 is is no or that we can't answer it is that human beings do not understand the true value of wisdom. We don't understand the true value of wisdom. We all understand the value of precious gems. We all do. Right? I don't mean to crush anybody's dreams here, but I don't think I'm telling you something you don't know, but jewelry is the last great scam. Right? It is a rock. That's all it is. And I know it's rare. It's a rare rock. Right? But they got us. But we all understand the value of precious gems. We're willing to expend a massive amount of energy and time and thought and effort to find them. The true worth of wisdom, though, it's not understood by human beings. And wisdom is infinitely more valuable than all the things we mine for. But we're not nearly as passionate to find wisdom as we are money, for example. And so the issue here is compounded then by the fact that even if we were passionate to find wisdom, as many humans are, we still couldn't find it. That's what the Bible is revealing here. It's, it's not discoverable through our natural abilities. So in verse 20, Job comes back to the same question then. It still lingers. The answer is still unknown. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. Wisdom is hidden from every realm of creation, from both humans and animals. Even if you literally had a bird's eye view of everything, like the birds do, you still couldn't find it. We can't even find wisdom in the realm of the dead, so it's not like all the answers come automatically after you die. They've only heard rumors of it on the other side, Job is saying. In other words... Wisdom is not accessible anywhere in this world by the living or by the dead. Human beings do not understand the value of wisdom. They don't know where it can be found and we're unable to discover it with human ability. We can bring many hidden things to light in the natural realm. Wisdom, however, remains hidden from us. So what I think we need to do is is stop for a moment and take stock of the human condition then. The reality of our plight apart from God. How can we be saved if this is true? If Job 28 is true, how can we ever be saved? Have you ever thought about this? If we can't identify what wisdom is, 
how can we ever discern in our flesh that Jesus, the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, should be believed upon? How are we ever going to discern that if Job 28 is true? Do you believe that, as you think to yourself tonight, do you believe that you got saved because unlike some other poor saps, you were just able to discern in the moment the difference between wisdom and foolishness? That somehow you were just able to pull that off? Or have you ever thought about it at all? Do we really think that we can win others to Christ? Think about this for a minute. By crafting the perfect argument or answer to their questions. Do we really believe we have it within us to always see the truth? To always know the right path? When was the last time we genuinely questioned our own conclusions about anything? Right? No, only God knows the way to wisdom. Only God knows the way to wisdom. In verses 23 to 28. Listen to that one more time. This is a beautiful passage. God understands the way to it. And He knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure. When He made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Then He saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. It here, what is the antecedent of that pronoun? It's wisdom. And he said to man, behold, see that, and he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. These verses immediately answer the questions in verse 12 and verse 20, right? And the reason God alone knows the way to wisdom is found in verses 24 to 27. He sees everything. He knows everything. So wisdom can escape his gaze. He knows where to find it. He knows how you attain it. When he created the world, he established wisdom as a part of the creation. So wisdom is not naturally discoverable. It's not something we find and gain. Now think about that. Think about what this text is revealing and how it should affect our understanding of the world. What is wisdom? What is it? We are quick to assign that label to someone if they're old enough or learned enough when only God knows the way to wisdom. Right? Do we believe that text? Notice this now in verse 28. Again, that word and. He connects it to the verses that came before it. And he said to man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So first of all, to gain wisdom requires the divine revelation of God. And secondly, the basic principle of wisdom, the starting point of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. That and nothing else is actually wisdom. To turn from evil is what it means to have understanding. Where those two things are not present, where those two things are not present, the divine revelation of God and the fear of the Lord, there is not wisdom or understanding, period. Everything but the fear of the Lord and the turning from evil is foolishness, beloved. All of it. All of it. A person gains wisdom not by learning then, but by recognizing God. Now that means, think about this for a minute. Everything in the universe, 
that is not deliberately Godward is superficial. It's not dealing with the main thing. Doesn't mean it has no value. But if it isn't finding its reference point in the fear of the Lord, it's superficial. Everything. Wisdom is not something we attain through the increase of knowledge. Who would have thought differently? Right? Wisdom is the surrender of our belief that we can know anything apart from God. That's where wisdom starts. So all, all this information out there, much of it true, right? All these things, the science, art, music, history, all, all these things, I'm not saying they have no value. I'm saying when their reference point is not the fear of the Lord, it's superficial. It's not wisdom. We can call it other things. We can't call it wisdom. When we read 28.28, in light of 1.8 and 2.3, it's evident that God regarded Job then as truly wise. Not because Job didn't have questions. or God knew that Job would have questions. And still he says that he fears the Lord and turns away from evil. He's, he's the definition in this book of wisdom. Look what wisdom is doing for the last 27 chapters and following. Not knowing. Questioning. Wisdom is something different than knowing everything. It's, it's amazing what we call wise. You know, if somebody knows things, we think they're wise. That's not the way the Bible defines wisdom. So although Job questions and complains and cries out, he still comes to the realization that there's no help available for him except from God himself. Job's wisdom had nothing to do with what Job knew or didn't know. Job was wise because it had everything to do with how Job regarded God. That's what made Job wise. If that is so, then the fear of the Lord is still and ever remains the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom does not mean there are no questions. Wisdom does not mean there are no questions. In fact, I would say the deeper the wisdom goes, the less dogmatic we tend to be about much of anything at all. I'm, you, you know, I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm talking about the Bible. This is a foundational text. Wisdom at its core is faith that God has the answer whether it's available to us or not. Right? That's what we're learning here. It's a foundational text in the Word of God for understanding, for our understanding of ourselves and our world. This Job 28 is a tremendous gift of God to us. Do we understand what's being revealed to us here? If wisdom cannot be discovered on the human level and can only be found by God, then God must speak. He must reveal Himself or we will never know anything that matters. That's how dependent we are on God to speak to us, beloved. That's how we want to start thinking about the Bible. Not this thing to be mastered. We are literally dumber than a box of hammers without this book. Every single one of us. And there's no escape from it. And you could pile on all the knowledge you want. Wisdom is the gift of God. 
That's all it is. It, it, it doesn't matter how far human beings advance, how far we go in technical skill and the ability to accomplish great things. The way to wisdom is beyond the reach of human ability. You see what God, see God leveling the playing field? Anyone can be wise. Your IQ means nothing in God's reckoning. Your, the amount of money you get paid, your position, your title, they mean nothing before the God of all things. Wisdom can be attained by anyone that comes to Him. One of the functions of Job 28 in the book is to show that wisdom has not been discovered so far in the debate. By the time you get 28 chapters in, none of them have figured it out. Why? Why, why are they in the dark here? Because God has not yet spoken. That's why. That's why he's asking. What? Because God has not yet spoken. Job is a prophet in chapter 28. Longing for the appearance of true wisdom. Isn't he? That's finally when all the wisdom, that, that's what all the wisdom literature in the Bible is. It, it's a book that's not yet closed. All reveals different facets of wisdom, but not the whole diamond. Why? Why not? For in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, which means what then? About the fear of the Lord. If the fear of the Lord is wisdom, then the fear of the Lord is ultimately faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only faith makes one wise. Only Jesus gives us access to wisdom. Mining is an extremely poignant metaphor in the text tonight from Job in this beautiful poem, really. I was reading how in England in 1986 a practice ended that had began all the way back in 1911. In 1986, I forget what the day was, miners used canaries for the last time. We know about this. Some of you know way more about this than I do. That canaries were used to keep miners safe, right? If they got sick or died, you knew that carbon monoxide and or other toxic gases were present and you needed to get out of the mind, of the, of the mine. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a canary calling out to us that the air we are breathing in this world is poison. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not just this part of the Bible, this formula that by which you, you change your eternal destiny. The gospel is everything. It's everything. It's calling out to us that everything we inhale is poison. L- listen to these texts. I'm, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna flip there, but if, if you can always go back and Read them through if you want, if you listen. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Listen to this. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of God are not naturally discerned. Your will cannot accept God. It cannot do it. My salvation's a miracle? Yeah! Yeah, the whole thing, right? Romans 8, 7 to 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Do you, do you see a pattern here between words like cannot and unable? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible describes our fallen condition very specifically. And it isn't kind. It isn't complimentary. Jeremiah 13.23 Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. This is why we read the words of Jesus that we do in John 3.3 Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How are you going to come into something you cannot see? Why? Why is it that unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God? The reason is Job 28. Because the kingdom of God is spiritually discerned, not naturally discerned. Because I cannot submit to God's rule in my flesh. Because I'm dead in trespasses and sins and dead people can't see anything. I have to be born again because I cannot change my nature. I cannot see the kingdom of God unless I'm born again because the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 1 Corinthians 1.18 Do you see how much of the Bible is this interplay between wisdom and foolishness? Do we actually understand, beloved, the predicament we humans are in if God doesn't do something? Despite our best efforts as humans, only God understands wisdom. Human searching is not able to find wisdom. Human wealth is not able to buy wisdom. We are alienated from God in our very natures. And we cannot find Him. We cannot reconcile ourselves. To find wisdom means to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond our material world, to hear and believe the gospel. But... Guess what all these texts alongside chapter 28 and others are teaching us? We can't believe the gospel. Because the gospel is what? It's the wisdom of God. And we can't find it. So what's it going to take for us to be saved? Right? What's it, what, what is it actually going to take for our evangelism to be successful out there in here? What is the fruitfulness of missionaries actually going to require? What is wisdom in my life actually going to require for God to show up and give us life supernaturally through His Word? If that doesn't happen, nobody's believing, nobody will be wise. The Gospel is the life-giving Word of Jesus Christ and therefore is the only pathway to true wisdom. Have you ever wondered why when you heard the Gospel at some point you believed it while others that hear the same message continue to reject it. What do you think the reason is for that? Do you think it's in you? In light of Job 28 in these texts we've read tonight, God has to work a life-giving miracle. We have to be born again. And I would just very quickly ask you, what did you have to do with your conception physically? Nothing. God has to do this. What we need in Job 28 is for God to do that. That's what mankind needs. That's what Job's cry reveals. 
God has to do something, right? If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and I can't find wisdom, how can I fear the Lord? You see what the text is doing? It's, it's pushing us to say, it's pushing us to be little Mary, isn't it? Let it be to me according to your word. Right? That's what the text is doing. We, we, we shy away from saying anything nice about Mary. Beloved, that's the picture, that little girl. That, that's one of the reasons why she's little and doesn't know anything yet. So that we can see when she says, let it be to me according to your word, there it is. There it is. It's the only hope we have. Just do something to me. I'm helpless. In order to know the true beauty of being saved, we really need a fresh understanding of what it means to be lost. Were you ever lost? Like, did that ever happen to any of us? You know, most, especially for those of us like me who grew up in the church, like, it's really hard for me to point to a time when I was lost as it's normally defined. I was as foolish and as blind and as wicked and as enslaved in my nature as everybody else in my school and at my job and all these things. Didn't matter what I grew up under. I was lost, right? I, I, not sitting under it didn't like create the wisdom in me. We have to understand how not just unlikely, but impossible it is that we would ever left to ourselves in our own understanding ever come to Jesus. Right? I'm not trying to undo anybody's salvation tonight. I want you to see how much of a miracle it is so that it makes you happy. Right, so that you realize I really do have a message for that guy at my work. I can't out argue. So what? That's that's not that's not how you get it. We we're not trying to win like an argument war, right? We're not better. Do you see what the Bible's doing? How can any of us ever claim to be better than anybody that's lost? If if you can't find what the Bible says you have to find, that means somebody helped you find it. Therefore, you have nothing to brag about. We have nothing to brag about. So maybe I've used this before, but I see this, I've heard not so much anymore. But like, if, if, if my kids are fighting, used to fight for one seat in the van, they wanted that seat, and I would say, alright, enough fighting. They, they thought I was being, I was just tired of hearing them argue. You sit in that seat. And the one that got to sit in that seat would look at the others and be like, mm, mm, mm. Like what? What are you, what are you bragging about? Like, I just said I was tired of hearing you argue, just sit down, right? I, We're not basically good people that just need a push in the right direction. That's not God's assessment of humanity. We're dead, lost, foolish, enslaved rebels who are hostile to God and unable to understand what is true. Unable to find wisdom and therefore unable to believe. How do we remedy our predicament? How do we become wise enough to understand the truth? The gospel. That's the gospel. That's why in chapter 28, they don't know where to find it. The gospel is the means and the only means through which God gives life. The text tonight is pointing us to wisdom, which means the text is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. Wisdom, this thing he's talking about, has been personified. Don't forget that. Remember where we are on the timeline. As you read the Bible, remember where you are in history. We need to bow before God's Word tonight. That, that, that would be wisdom. That would be the fear of the Lord. For our questions to get swallowed up by God's revelation. 
Right? That, that's, that's not you putting away your mind. Christianity is the only religion in the world where serious thought is required. So it, we're not setting aside our minds. We need to agree with God that there are some things we just cannot do. We really are dependent on Him. Oh, we don't like that. Not in America. No, 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 no. I'm not dependent on anything. Oh, my goodness. We're not only limited, we're utterly dependent on God to act upon us. Think about what Christmas means about salvation. When you read the story of Mary and how these things happen, we, what, what do we need in order to be saved in order for the Savior to come into our lives, we need the power of the Most High to overshadow our foolishness and our inability to believe, don't we? That's how you and I got saved. We just don't realize it. Right? We don't realize that's what's happening. But that's what's happening. To conceive, we need the Most High to conceive in us what we cannot produce on our own. Belief in the Gospel. We need for the God who said, let light shine out of darkness to shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 4. Why, Paul is telling you, why did God create out of nothing? Why is that the way He made the universe? So that there would be an ever-standing metaphor for how you get saved. There's nothing in here. Nothing. It's void and black. Nothing. And then a voice says, in the gospel, let there be light. Boom! And it comes on and you believe and get saved. Right? That's how it happens. We, we just, we just didn't realize that's what was happening most of the time. We, we honestly think that, well, you know, any of us at any time have the ability to, if we want, no, 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 it, 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 it takes the explosion. It takes creation ex nihilo to be saved. The canary is singing tonight, beloved. He's singing all the time. Don't buy it. Don't breathe it in. Wisdom is not out there. The answers are not out there. The answers are in here. Because this book reveals a person. Right? It, it, don't, don't buy the world's pressure that there's things you don't know that if you knew, you would be better off. That's how you get here. It's time to flee self-reliance. That's what the canary is letting us know. Flee self-reliance. All of it, even as Christians, flee it. (coughs) Flee self-exaltation, our own glory and misplaced confidence, all of which are the result of our foolishness, right? Those things do not come from wisdom. You... What grace is going to do in us over time is start to reveal to us when those places where we're still foolish, right? Wisdom begins at the foot of the cross. It always begins at the foot of the cross. When you don't have answers, I know it sounds general and cheap and trite, and of course that's what a preacher would say, go to the foot of the cross, and the answer you receive will be the answer you need. Because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Beloved, the one where all that is hidden hung for you and I. Died for you and I. Trust that. Trust that. We've, we've replaced in many ways the centrality of the fear of the Lord, of utter dependence on what Christ does for us in the gospel. We've replaced that with our own pursuits for wisdom, right? And our own confidence in ourselves, 
our belief and our potential, right? It's like nowadays the gospel is like God wants you to do something great. The gospel is God forgives sinners. That's the gospel. You just just set everybody up to just feel like a failure their whole lives. I didn't do anything great for God. Loving your wife is eternally beautiful. Right? Little little things like that. It's it's holding the hand of somebody who's weak. That's a great thing for God. Who cares if nobody sees it? He sees everything. Right? Right? I mean, come alongside somebody that is weak. Maybe you don't get a biography written about you. Maybe you don't get blasted on social media. Who cares? What's wrong with my boy right now? I don't know where he's going. He's over here. He's out the door. <laughs> these, these, our belief in things that are not wisdom, right? Because we we do that in church. We we, we are so um, trusting of our own impulses, which they're, they're, wisdom isn't there. Like like it, 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 the probably the best thing to do most of the time is to defer. You know, and just say okay. You know what I, I, so much of what we do assumes our ability to know everything. And, and we, we don't. That's killing our faith. It's killing our hope. It's a departure from wisdom. When we walk back through texts we've read tonight, including Job 28, do we understand what God's Word is saying to us then as individuals? As individuals, you're hearing tonight that your belief was a miracle. Right? That was a miracle. The faith that keeps you holding on to Jesus is a miracle. Right? Your ability to keep believing is, is an ability to continually discern what is wise. And you and I can't pull that off. So it has to be a miracle. Right? Do you realize how tightly God has you in His hands tonight? Do you know why you don't fall away and you keep believing? Grace. Grace. Beloved, in our nature, we will always pick the wrong option. We'll always think God is out to lunch. And His Word will always pull us back. No, I'm not. I'm right here all the time. The grace, it, it, the hymn is right. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. To fear the Lord, not in terror, in faith and hope. It's grace that's taught us wisdom because grace has enabled us to believe. It's foolishness to believe that you have within you the ability to save yourself, to keep yourself, to sanctify yourself. Wisdom is to stand arms wide open before the Lord and say with Mary, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. And do we understand if that's what the text is saying to us as individuals, do we understand what it's saying to us as his church? Have we dumbed down the conflict between this world and the next to fight on the world's terms? Do, do we reverse the Bible unknowingly all the time? Our battle is against flesh and blood. No, it isn't. It's not a battle out there, beloved, between good legislation and bad legislation. Don't believe that. It's not a battle between who has the best kids program or the best worship teams. It's not a battle between really sharp, poignant apologetics and the arguments of the world. We do not battle against flesh and blood. That's the realm where nobody knows what wisdom is. The church has to stop sweating what it cannot control. And focus on being faithful to the one thing that is the power of God for salvation, the gospel. The gospel never stops being the power that saves you and I. So, 
you know, I, I don't, it, it's, I don't get, I don't know, you know, I've had folks say kind, kindness to me. I don't mean it in like a, you know, that, that you know, don't worry. I'm sure people are going to start coming forward. I, and I appreciate that type of kindness, but like I don't, I don't get bummed out when no one comes forward during invitations. I just want you to know that I don't, I don't think of it in those terms. My, my preaching ability is not the power of God for salvation. So I, I don't, I don't, what I need to focus on and be faithful to is the content. Right? God will do the work in the pew or wherever. He has to do a miracle or nothing will happen anyway, right? Now, I believe he does that through the foolishness of preaching, which is it. What, 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 what have, maybe not Moundsville, I don't really know all that yet, but what has the church in America started to say? That, that you know, we, we believe the text that God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. But come and watch this skit and come and join this play and come and watch this movie and read this thing and go to this place and do that thing and see, do we believe it or not? Why do we not believe it? Because we're foolish and we think, you know, if we're not getting the results, if we're not getting the numbers, we must be doing something wrong. That's foolishness, right? I don't mean that in an insulting way. I'm saying that, that wisdom would say, well, if Job 28 is true, the pastor isn't going to, pastor doesn't have any magical powers. In fact, what you should demand of me is that I preach Christ crucified every time I get in the pulpit. That's, 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 but, but when our programs and our strategies become the result of our own wisdom, they're not the power of God for salvation. Don't overthink that. Don't replace it. Don't alter it. It's doing exactly what God intends for it to do all the time. The Spurgeon said the same rock that melts the wax hardens the clay. It's, 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 that's God's word when it goes out. All the wisdom we need for every answer to every question we have is found in the gospel. Because to believe the gospel is the fear of the Lord. And that alone is wisdom. So we talked about how part of the reason Job 28 was there was because wisdom had not been discovered throughout the speeches and debates of the book, right? It was still missing. And even though God is going to show up and speak, He will not reveal everything. Why does the closing of Job offer an answer but not the answer? Because it wasn't the day of Jesus yet. Only then is wisdom truly and fully revealed. So when we get to that part in Job where God is there, we have to remember we're still not getting the whole story. So Job almost acts as a foil to the often cut and dry nature of the other wisdom literature, right? For example, if Proverbs is absolute, how do you explain what happened to Job? I thought the righteous prospered and everything went well. You'd think that when you read Proverbs, but it turns out there's more to see. There's more to see. But that's the point of Job. To remind us that wisdom is partial at best when Christ is not the center of our understanding. <clears throat> Beloved, the gospel is the starting point of understanding all reality. Our foolishness and sinfulness conspire with our wills to make it impossible for us to fear the Lord. So we need at all times a life-giving, life-saving miracle, not just to see, but to be saved. And that's the function of Jesus for us in His Word, the sum of which, remember in First Peter, is the good news that was preached to you, the Gospel. God's final, complete, and revelatory Word has been spoken once and for all in Christ. 
Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. He is the sum of God's revelation and God's wisdom. In Christ, wisdom has been personified, which means two things, at least. Wisdom is now accessible to us on our playing field, and the fear of the Lord is realized and embodied by faith in Christ. That's the fear of the Lord, to believe Christ. He's wisdom, right? Fear of the Lord has everything to do with Jesus. It's not like a, a way to make all the Proverbs come true for you. You see how faulty that would be. Nothing is more frustrating to the human mind and will than the narrowness of wisdom, right? We think wisdom can be found everywhere. That's what we hear. It, it, it can be found one place, one, one person. But the way is narrow because only one thing is needed, Jesus, Jesus alone. I think I've used about 12 minutes of my sermon credit time, so I'm going to shut her down. But everything, everything is hidden in the gospel. The front will be open here. If you'd like to come and pray, I'll be here. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the time that you've given to us tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your son. I thank you, Lord, for just the sheer kindness that you've shown in the incarnation. Father, it's much more than kindness. But even that is there. Just your willingness to come near to us, to save us and love us, Father, and forgive us of our sins and our rebellion. You didn't ignore it. You're the only one in the universe that hasn't ignored it. And so, Father, I thank you for your Son, and I pray that we would see him more clearly each and every day. I ask this in the name, in his name. Amen.